Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. Glad that you are with us. Uh, we are in the book of Exodus, the uh, seventh chapter. We are reading about the story of Moses. And uh, last week, we, we really were taking, kind of going and in, in, in examining uh, the analogy of what it means to be a spiritual leader uh, uh, in an environment, what, what spiritual authority really is all about. And I was really pointing out to a great degree that spiritual authority, you've heard me teach about this many times, but I just need to, like I got to constantly repeat it because it's like people don't hear. It's, how, it's amazing how often I get asked this question by wives or husbands or couples and stuff that are struggling in their own marriage with this issue. But spiritual authority is not based on what you do. It's based on who you are. And I had someone today say, well, why does the Bible say the husband is the head of the house? Why is that? Uh, a lot of them don't like the answer, but it's, and it's a very simplistic answer. And I'm sure there must be some great deal more complications as to why. But the answer biblically is simply the fall. When Eve was the first one who, instead of being the helper to Adam, actually became a stumbling block to him and caused him to sin along with her. And part of the punishment, men have their deals, women have theirs as well. But a part of that is that the husband would now be the head uh, over the woman. Now, especially in our culture today, when it, a lot of people find that just horribly offensive and stuff. And, uh, but it is what it is. It doesn't mean that a man gets to abuse his wife. It doesn't mean that you get to be uh, Mussolini, and just boss around, I'm in charge, I'm the man of God, you shut up, do what I just want, woman, submit, submit. You know, if you talk like that, you're an idiot, all right? And any man who's got a quote to the, the Bible to his wife to submit needs to have a swirly as far as I'm concerned. That's when you stick your head in a toilet and you flush it, okay? It's called a swirly. You know, you should be quoting those kind of verses. Just be a leader and let God deal with her and God will deal with you and, and, and all that other kind of stuff. But oftentimes, husbands and wives get very frustrated over this thing of being who, you know, who should be the spiritual leader in the home, who has the most spiritual insight in the home. And I was, I was dealing with this on, on my radio program this morning, and uh, we started with this last Wednesday. Uh, but uh, let's, let's pick it up at, at uh, Exodus here, 7th chapter, verse 1. And I just want to kind of set this up and, and kind of explain what I'm talking about here. It says here, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. You're the guy in charge. And your brother Aaron will be your prophet. He's the one who actually be getting the insights and speaking on your behalf. And as I said last week, as you read the story, Moses doesn't do anything. Not until a little bit later, we'll see that he starts finally picking it up, which is a lesson there. Treat a man with respect before he earns it, he will grow into it. Something women can't stand. Because they'll think, oh, treat him with respect when he earns it. You know, a lot of times, you got to do it before they earn it. And this is, in fact, how God unlocks the spiritual potential in men, is by treating him with great respect, because Moses had done nothing worthy of anything. In fact, he was such a dud about it, God got mad and almost wanted to kill him. Remember, we read last week, because Moses said, well, I don't want to go talk to these guys, I don't want to do it, I don't want nothing, I don't know how to talk, it's a stupid thing, I don't want to do it. And God got really hacked off at him, and was going to kill him, but for his wife stepping in the way, Moses was nothing at this point, we go, wow, what a great leader. He didn't even want to be in there. Didn't like it. And he didn't say anything. He stood there. Aaron said everything. And when it came time to stretch out the staff, we need to see it in the movies, and Moses was always, it wasn't Moses, it was Aaron. Aaron was the guy doing stuff. Now eventually we'll see that 
Moses starts picking it up. At least we assume he's picking it up because it says now Moses stretched forth his hand and stuff. Now, either he literally did or it just became synonymous that when it said Moses did it, Aaron was still doing it. We don't know. I'm assuming because we'll see the dialogue change from Aaron Aaron doing it to finally Moses stepping up. But in the beginning, if you were there, and I hope we get gigantic TiVos in heaven so we can rewind and see all this stuff. But you will look and you will watch this and Moses is doing nothing. He's earned nothing. He's done, he's, he's had no ideas of his own. All he says, God said, go tell Pharaoh such and such. And then Moses went and said to Aaron, okay, you go tell Pharaoh such and such. And then he'd stand there and Moses would just stand there. That's all he did. And Aaron would say it. And Aaron stretched forth his hand. And da 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 da. Moses did nothing. But amazingly, who was in charge? Aaron or Moses? Moses was. Even though he didn't do anything. And Aaron didn't turn around and say, Yeah, you're such a scuzz bucket. You know what's the matter? I gotta do everything. You don't do nothing. How are you supposed to be the leader around here? I, how come I gotta do everything? Sounds like a lot of women in their homes, right? Getting mad at their husbands. How come I gotta do everything? How come I gotta do everything? You know, he never did that. Now, as I was talking, again, this, this morning on my radio program, you can listen to it uh, online, uh, archive it if you didn't get a chance to hear it. But talking about this, there, when, when God said, look it, you're going to be like God, Aaron will be like the prophet. We see this tandem working all the way through scripture, where you would have the man of authority and then you would have a prophet. It goes throughout the Old Testament. You've got the king and the prophet. Uh, eventually, even in the New Testament, you've got the leaders of the church and the prophets. Uh, Paul was in charge, but then the prophets were speaking to him. Don't go to Jerusalem. You should know better. You're going to get hurt. Da, da, da. He didn't listen to him anyway. But uh, the reality is there's always been this tandem that God has used where you have a person of the, who has the authority, but God was speaking to the prophet. And it was the prophet who would hear from God and speak to the guy in authority. You say, why is that? I have no stinking idea. I'm sure there's somebody a lot more spiritual and smart than I who knows why. I'm just telling you it is. And in fact, this model is so effective that Satan uses it in the book of Revelations. If you'll read the book of Revelations, when the Antichrist comes, it's not just the Antichrist comes, it's the Antichrist and the false what? Prophet! It's the same tandem deal, even from Satan's view. There's something about this tandem where you got the guys in charge, but then you've got this prophet. In this case, in the, in, 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 uh, the uh, uh, end times, the Antichrist will be this wicked, wicked prophet who performs these miracles and does all this incredible stuff. Now, stop and think about that. There, if even Satan duplicates it, there's something there, right? And we see this throughout the Bible. Now what I think the church has failed to do is to teach this concept and apply it to the home. Because what we have taught in essence is that the man is both king and prophet. Because we said the man is supposed to be the spiritual leader of the home. You've heard that a million times. I've said it a million times. And as I'm studying the scripture, I'm going, you know what? The Bible never really says that. The New Testament never really says the husband is the spiritual head of the home. It doesn't say it. It says he's the head. He's the one with the authority. Doesn't say anything about spiritual anything. What if, just stretch your mind a little bit. What if this tandem thing that we see God always doing throughout history, and that Satan himself will duplicate in the end. 
What if God intended that even in the home? What if God intended men to be the one in authority, as the scripture says, but the wife, in fact, is the prophet who often has spiritual insights and hears from God and speaks of spiritual life into the home? Now, if that is the case, that should get a lot of women to relax a little bit. And a lot of guys, because what happened, we've created an environment where oftentimes it is the woman who's getting spiritual insights and she's so mad that he's not doing it. It's exactly what's happening. And a lot of guys are thinking, oh, I'm a loser. I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm not going to do nothing. She seems to hear from God all the time. I don't know. I just, I'll just do my job and watch TV. <laughs> That's what we have happening over and over. And this has been repeated in millions of Christian homes tonight. Because I think we haven't really taught this thing through. What if, in fact, it is the normal thing? For women to receive spiritual insights and speak that to the leader of the home. Because what would happen, and you see this in the Old Testament, the prophet never railed on the king and said, what is the matter with you? Are you a moron? How come God's got to tell me stuff? You should be, you're the one in charge. How come you're not here? He, they never did it. First of all, the king would kill him if he did that. Okay. It would have been terribly disrespectful. But no one thought it was weird. The king thought, great, speak into my life. Oftentimes the kings would call for the prophets to come and speak to them. To hear what God is saying. Well, why does God do that? Why didn't God just speak to him? I don't know. Sometimes he would. But oftentimes there was this tandem deal. And the king didn't go around saying, well, I don't know, I'm not very spiritual. I don't know, God's always talking to him. I don't know what's going on. I don't want to talk to me. I'm supposed to be in charge. I'll let him run everything from now on. They never had that problem because they always understood this dual role. And I'm just wondering if, in fact, this is what God is doing in homes. I, based on the study I've been at this point, I'm absolutely convinced that's, in fact, what does happen. In fact, we see it every day. We see it all the time. You, a lot of it, you guys experience it in your own marriages. It's just we're just kind of dull of hearing and seeing and we're not realizing that there's something already in play here. We're, but we're putting all the weight on the husband. Now, that's not to say the husband doesn't have responsibilities. The husband, the Bible teaches, should be the one who should teach his children spiritual things. Okay? It's not up for you to just leave it up to your wife. But this idea that oftentimes the woman will hear and sense and be aware of spiritual needs in the home and in the life of, of, of the family is not inappropriate in any way, shape, or form. I argue it's probably this tandem thing that God has always worked with in his kingdom. And that if women would get comfortable with this role and accept it, praise God. And if men would get comfortable with this role and accept it and start the, stop the fighting between husbands and wives thinking that all of this that we've essentially taught that the man is both the king and prophet and everything has to come through him and the wife should just be this little submissive thing is not biblical. Does this make sense to anybody? You know, some of you are looking at me like I play for the Vikings or something. You know, just... <laughs> you know, this this is normal, healthy stuff. And and if you look and anyway, we see this, and, and one way that we see it is in the life of Moses and Aaron. Okay? So anyway, that's the whole deal. I just I just wanted to share that because I think that there's a truth here that we need to start embracing instead of fighting in our homes. Okay, so anyway, God says you're gonna be like God. Aaron's gonna be like your prophet. Again, the tandem deal. Now you are to say everything I command you and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. 
But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and, and though I multiply his, my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt with mighty acts of judgment. I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out. So Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded. Moses was 80 years old. Aaron was 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. Now, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron... Take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh and it will become a snake. Again, if you watch the movie, it's Moses who does it. But that's not what happened. It was Aaron who did it. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron threw down his staff, down in front of Pharaoh, boom, and his officials, and it became a snake. Well, here's the amazing thing. Pharaoh then summoned his wise men and sorcerers, those from the dark arts, those who tapped into fallen spirits, satanic spirits, And it says they did the same thing with their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff and it became a snake, which is pretty interesting. You know, point of fact is there are some satanic powers that are at play. And there are some even creative powers that Satan has uh, and these fallen angels have that uh, can be very deceptive and confusing. But anyway, so they did it. But what's cool in the story says, but then Aaron's snake staff swallowed up the other ones. (laughs) That'd be pretty cool. But yet Pharaoh's heart became hard and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. So go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out on the water. Wait on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has sent me to say to you, let my people go so that they may worship me in the desert. But until now you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. By this you will know that I am the Lord. With a staff that is in my hand. I will strike the water of the Nile. And it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die. The river will stink. Lovely. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. So the Lord said to Moses. Tell Aaron. Take your staff. Stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and all the reservoirs, and they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in the wooden buckets and stone jars. So Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh. Who did? Aaron did. And his officials and struck the water of the Nile, and all the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died. The river smelled so bad the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. Wow. But the Egyptian magicians did the same thing. So they pulled in and they were able to do the same miracle. Isn't that wild? And Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Instead, he turned and went into his palace and did not take it even, uh, take even this to heart. Didn't think anything of it. My magicians can do the same thing you're, you're doing. So what? So he did a big trick. Now, granted, the magicians did it in small pieces of water. He did it <laughs> to the whole country, you know. But again, it was enough that he said, ah, no big deal. And it says all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they couldn't drink water from the river. So they basically made get wells to find water to drink. So everybody started quickly drinking, uh, digging wells so they could get some water because all the exposed water had been turned into blood. Well, um, we're not done yet. 
So this is just getting started. First thing, he shows them the snake deal. And then he does this first plague of blood. And now we're going to continue and see plague after plague. This is, this is the most dramatic demonstration of God's hand and power ever in history. All right, in terms of a large scale. All right, now there was the most dramatic thing that ever happened was God raising Jesus from the dead, the firstborn from the dead for eternal life and, and, and all very cool. But in terms of just God showing up and kicking butt and taking names, this is it. This is the kind of stuff, you know, Christians think, man, I wish God had just show up and freak everybody out. You know, just, set, presto, change on, I'm in God. And if he would just do that, there'd be this great revival. We could all go to heaven because everybody would believe if God would just show up and go, ho-chee mama and change everything. But the reality is, is people will not believe, even if God did that. How do you know it? Because he did it. Been there, done that. God showed up and did these things one after another, and they still would not believe. Amazing. Just like people who saw Jesus do miracles. They think, man, wow, boy, if, if God would just do more miracles, and then more people would believe. Well, some believed as a result, but by and large, they still did not believe. Now, how you watch Jesus raise somebody from the dead, as the Pharisees did, and still not believe you got to be one hard-hearted dude. I mean, if I see that, I'm signing up. Whoa, I'm impressed. But they still wouldn't believe. So, you know, real belief doesn't happen by seeing here. It happens by seeing here. When you can see with your heart, that's ultimately. Now, not to say that God still won't do cool things and do miracles because we see in the New Testament, God still did cool miracles that got people's attention and people did believe. But ultimately, as far as the world's concerned, the reason they don't believe is because they have determined in their heart they will not believe. And they've refused. They've hardened their heart to God as Pharaoh did. Well, anyway, so we continue on. Chapter 8, seven days after the Lord struck the Nile, then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that, I may worship, so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will play your whole country with frogs. Why frogs? I have no idea, but that was the next plague. Well, the Nile, he says, will teem with frogs. They will come up into your palace and your bedroom and onto your bed and into the houses of your officials and on your people and into your ovens and netting troughs. Uh, The frogs will go up on you and your people and all your officials. You're just going to be covered with frogs. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the streams and canals, ponds, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So, Aaron did it, despite what they say in the movies. Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and frogs came up and covered the land. But then again, the magicians showed up and did the same thing, and they also made frogs come up on the land. So Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and and I'll, I'll let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Well, Pharaoh, Moses said to Pharaoh, I will leave to you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people that you and your house may be rid of the frogs, except for those that remain in the Nile. In other words, I'll give you the honor, showing respect to this big fat stinking jerk, Pharaoh. So Pharaoh said, okay, pray tomorrow. If I'd have been Pharaoh, I'd have said, pray right now, I'm sick of the frogs. Anyway, he says, okay, I'll pick a time tomorrow. Well, Moses replied, it will be as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord your God. The frogs will leave you and your houses, your officials and your people, and will remain only in the Nile. So after Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh, Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs he had brought on Pharaoh. 
And the Lord did what Moses asked. The frogs died in the houses, in the courtyards, and in the fields. (laughs) So they were piled into heaps. And the land reeked of them. Man, what is that smell? What reeks? It's all the piles of frogs. Dead frogs rotting away. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart. He changed his mind, the big fat jerk. And he wouldn't listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. So he said, yeah, get rid of the frogs and, and I'll, I'll let the people go. Well, as soon as the frogs are gone, nah, I'm not going to let them go. Well, then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, stretch out your staff, strike the dust of the ground. And throughout the land of Egypt, the dust will become gnats. <laughs> Boy, God sure knew how to get under these people's skins. First frogs, now gnats. So they did this. And when Aaron stretched out his hand with a staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came upon men and animals. Gnats everywhere. Nasty gnats. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. But when the magicians tried to produce gnats, they couldn't do it. And the gnats were on men and animals. So finally they're stumped. Their musicians, musicians, magicians can't keep up anymore. And the gnats are on everybody. There's gnats on people. There's gnats on the animals. Everybody's got gnats everywhere. And the physicians, or the the physicians, the magicians said, (laughs) it's a hard word for me apparently. Magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. I mean, we we can't do gnats. How do you make gnats out of dust? How you turn a stick into a snake would have thrown me. But apparently, for some reason, gnats threw them. Uh... But Pharaoh's heart was hard and he wouldn't listen just as the Lord had said. Well, then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh as he goes to the water and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship me. If you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials, on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies and even the ground where they are. But on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there, so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This miraculous sign will occur tomorrow. So now he's drawing land and sun. You're going to have flies up the yin-yang here, but not in Goshen where all the Jews live. They're my people. The plague will not touch them, only the uh, Egyptians. Uh, where was I? 24? There we go, sorry. And the Lord did this. Dense swarms of flies poured into Pharaoh's palace and into the houses of his officials and throughout Egypt the land was ruined by the flies. Ooh, I hope they weren't biting flies. I hate those. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God here in the land. In other words, he's, he's yielding. But Moses said, that would... Oh, no, I'm sorry. He says, Go sacrifice to your God here in the land. That's what he wanted him to do. Do it here. But Moses said, That would not be right. The sacrifices we offer to the Lord would be detestable to the Egyptians. If we offer sacrifices that are, not, that are detestable in their eyes, will they not stone us? We must take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord as he commanded us. We can't do it here. That's what he's saying. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the desert, but you must not go very far. All right? You can do, just don't go far away. You can go play, but don't go in the street. All right? Now pray for me. 
Well, Moses answered, as soon as I leave you, I will pray to the Lord, and tomorrow the flies will leave Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Only be sure that Pharaoh does not act deceitfully again by not letting the people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Then Moses left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did what Moses asked. The flies left Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Not a fly remained, but this time also Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let the people go. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so they can worship me. If you refuse to let them go and continue to hold them back, the hand of the Lord will bring a terrible plague on your livestock in the field, on your horses and donkeys and camels and cattle and sheep and goats. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and that of Egypt so that no animal belonging to the Israelites will die. Well, the Lord set a time and said, Tomorrow the Lord will do this in the land. And the next day the Lord did it. All the livestock of the Egyptians died. But not one animal belonging to the Israelites died. Well, Pharaoh sent men to investigate and found that not even one of the animals of the Israelites had died. Yet his heart was unyielding and would not let his people go. This is one stubborn man. I mean, this is no small deal. This is all their wealth and stuff to a great degree was tied up in these animals. And, uh, and food supplies and all the other kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, they're all dead. Ouch! You talk about a recession. I mean, these guys are in bad shape now. This is, But he still would not yield. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from a furnace and have Moses toss it in the air in the presence of Pharaoh. And it will become fine dust over the whole land of Egypt. And... <laughs> festering boils will break out on men and animals throughout the land. So they took soot from a furnace, stood before Pharaoh. Moses now tosses it. Now we're starting to see more of Moses here. And again, that's why I say now you're starting to see Moses doing more and more. He starts growing into the role. Okay, Either that or it's synonymous with, with Aaron still doing it. But it, it appears that Moses now is starting to do some of these things. But Moses tossed it in the air And when he did this, festering boils broke out on men and animals. Man, that's got to be a drag. Kind of makes you wish for frogs. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils that were on them and all the Egyptians. (laughs) It had to be gross. Ah! But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he still wouldn't listen. Well, then the Lord says to Moses, get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh and say this to him. This is what the Lord The God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may worship me. Or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people so that you will know there's no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose that I may show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You still... Uh, you still set yourself against my people and will not let them go. Therefore, at this time tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Give an order now to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field to a place of... I don't want livestock. There's also to be dead. Uh, uh, whatever, bring whatever you got left. Bring it inside uh, in the, into a place of shelter because the hail will fall on every man and animal that has not been brought in and is still out in the field and they will die now check it out those officials of pharaoh who feared the word of the lord (laughs) they're starting to get the picture here you know when he says that he means it so now they went 
and took their slaves and everything inside. But those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and livestock and everything outside. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that hail will fall all over Egypt on men and animals, on everything growing in the fields of Egypt. So Moses stretches forth his staff toward the sky. Uh, The Lord sends thunder and hail and lightning flash down to the ground and the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. Hail fell and lightning flashed back and forth. It was the worst storm in all the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. Throughout Egypt, hail struck Everything, men, animals, it beat down everything growing in the fields and stripped every tree. Hail, 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 hail everywhere. (laughs) I want to say something, but I won't. The next, the only place it did not hail was in the land of Goshen. That's where all the Israelites live. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. This time he says, I've sinned. You're right, guys. I'm wrong. The Lord's right. And and my people are in the wrong. My people, you're the one who did this. Anyway, pray to the Lord for we have had enough thunder and hail. I, I will let you go. You don't have to stay any longer. Moses replied, when I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands in prayer to the Lord. The thunder will stop and there will be no more hail. So you will know that the Lord, the earth is the Lord's. But I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord. The flax and barley were destroyed since barley had uh, headed and the flax was in bloom the wheat and spelt however were not destroyed because they ripened later little parenthetical thing there I don't know why but uh, then Moses left Pharaoh and went out of the city spread out his hands toward the Lord the hunt thunder and hail stopped the rain no longer poured down on the land of course when Pharaoh saw that the hail the rain and hail and thunder had stopped he sinned again he and his officials hardened his heart so Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not let the Israelites go just as the Lord had said through Moses. But does, you know, I've never seen anything like this. Obviously, none of us have ever seen anything like this. But this kind of attitude I have seen in people. It's like only when things are bad do they want God. Only when things are horrible do they want the Lord. Only when things go wrong then they pray. As soon as things go right, they forget all about God. And uh, uh, and that's a very, very bad place to be. Anyway, um, now we go to chapter 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh. For I, man, <laughs> if you're Pharaoh, wouldn't you like ban Moses? Wouldn't you think, isn't that an odd thing? I just think, if a guy, if you keep showing up at my doorstep and plagues break out, you're not invited anymore. And I put guards, keep this guy away. But apparently he still had access. So the Lord says, go to Pharaoh. I've hardened his heart and the hearts of his officials so that I may perform these miraculous signs of mine among them that you may tell your children and grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them and that you may know that I am the Lord. In other words, this, um, this behavior of the Egyptians was bizarre and just off the charts. It makes no sense. Nobody in their right mind would continue to subject themselves to this kind of torture. And what God is saying, I'm doing this to them. They don't even realize why they're refusing to let the people go. I mean, God is actually uh, causing this to happen in the hearts of these people, in their heads, which obviously they're 
unbelievably stupid at this point for tolerating this kind of behavior. But God says, I am doing this because I am showing off. When I get done with this, you're going to be talking about this for a long time to come to your children. Indeed, we're talking about it tonight, thousands of years later. So anyway, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord says, the God of the Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will bring locusts into your country tomorrow. They will cover the face of the ground so that it cannot be seen. They will devour what little you have left. Obviously, after the frogs and gnats and storms and hail and whatever else was going on. Whatever you have left, including every tree that is growing in your fields, they will fill your houses and all those uh, of all your officials and all the Egyptians, something neither your fathers nor your forefathers have ever seen from the day they settled in the land till now. This is the worst you've, anybody's ever seen. Then Moses turned and left Pharaoh. Pharaoh's official said to him, How long will this man be a snare to us? Let the people go! Someone's finally trying to talk sense into Pharaoh. So let them go worship their God. Don't you realize that Egypt is ruined? Then Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, go worship the Lord your God, but just who will be going? Moses answered, we will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and herds, because we are to celebrate a festival to the Lord. Pharaoh said, the Lord be with you. If I let you go along with your women and children, clearly you are bent on evil. So he said, well, the Lord will be with you if I, if, if I do this. In other words, he feared you're just trying to escape. Because remember, initially, he said, oh, I just want to go for three days to worship. All right. Well, Pharaoh said, well, you're taking everybody. Clearly you're not doing this. And he felt something was amiss. No, have only the men go and worship the Lord. Since that's what you've been asking for. Then Moses and Aaron were driven out of the Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over Egypt so that locusts will swarm over the land and devour everything growing in the fields, everything left by the hail. So Moses stretched out his staff over Egypt and the Lord made an east wind blow across the land all that day and all that night. By morning the wind had brought the locusts. They invaded all Egypt, settled down in every area of the country in great numbers. Never before had there been such a plague of locusts, nor will there ever be again. They covered all the ground until it was black. They devoured all that was left after the hail. Everything growing in the fields and the fruit on the trees, nothing green remained on tree or plant in the land of Egypt. I mean, you talk about, they wiped out everything. The place was already devastated as, as his officials were trying to reason with them. Look, the whole land's been destroyed. And... Uh, Pharaoh still wouldn't give them everything they wanted. Still wanted control. I'll let the men go, but not the women and children. And uh, so now everything's just totally gone. So Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron and said, I, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now forgive my sin once more and pray to the Lord your God and take this deadly plague away from me. So again, quick to repent when things are bad. Well, Moses then left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord changed the wind to a very strong west wind, which caught up the locusts and carried them into the Red Sea. So all the fish got to eat lots of locusts. So now the locust was left anywhere in Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he still wouldn't let the Israelites go. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that darkness will spread over Egypt. Darkness that can be felt. 
Whoa. Not just dark, but you can feel it dark. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or leave his place for three days. Yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. Pretty cool, huh? So Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, Go worship the Lord. Even your women and children may go with you. Only leave your flocks and herds behind. He's still trying to control something. The guy's still negotiating with God. Well, God, I'll do this, but what if I get to do this? Well, God, I'll do that. How about I can still get to do this? I mean, it sounds like, again, some people I know, they'll submit to God only as long as they still get some stuff that they want. You have to understand, when God calls your number, man, he's looking for total surrender. Let God have his way. God will bless you if you will trust him. But anyway, Moses said, look, you must allow us to have sacrifices and burnt offerings to present to the Lord. Our livestock, too, must go with us. Not a hoof is to be left behind. We have to use some of them in worshiping the Lord our God. And until we get there, we will not know what we are to use to worship the Lord. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart again, just confusing the guy's mind, because he's an idiot of astronomical proportions at this point, still refusing to let the people go. Well, Pharaoh says to Moses, get out of my sight. Make sure you do not appear before me again. The day you see my face, you will die. Well, now finally, he says, don't show up anymore. <laughs> I'd have got to ban him back with the frogs. But anyway, so just as you say, Moses says, I will never appear before you again. Now, the Lord has said to Moses, now this is the, this is the final one. This is the Hochi Mama. This is the big deal. Up to this point, hammering them, hammering them, hammering them, hammering them, hammering them. God confusing their very own heads because it's not logical that they wouldn't let the people go. The land was destroyed. They had nothing left. Their wealth, everything, that, uh, the amount of people who had to be starving at this point had to be huge. I mean, this, this is... We're just getting the Cliff Notes version of what life had to be like for these people. The land was devastated because of what was happening. And, uh, and, and these people just kept fighting God. And it was really God just confusing them to cause them to fight them. It, it makes no sense. But now we get to the Yo Mama, the big, the Ho Chi Mama final plague. That totally gets their attention. Now the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh in Egypt. After that... He will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbor for articles of silver and gold. In other words, go to all your neighbor, all the Egyptians, take all their money. <laughs> so not only do they have nothing left in terms of livestock and food and everything, then he's supposed to go and take all the gold and silver you want from all the Egyptians. So now they take their money on top of it on their way out. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed to the people and Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by the Pharaoh's officials and by all the people. I'll bet everybody was highly respecting Moses by this time. When Moses talked, people listened. Forget E.F. Hutton. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says. About midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the slave girl who is at her hen mill and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. Talk about sorrow, the devastating agony. You say, wow, why, why such a strong thing? Well, remember, there is a, a law of, of, in effect here. You will reap what you sow. What were the Egyptians doing to the Israelites? Do you remember why they were hiding Moses? Why she hit him in the, in the, in the reeds in the first place? Because they were killing all the boys. They were killing them. 
uh, if, if a child was born to to the Israelites, a male, they would just you know run it through with a sword or break its neck or drown it. I mean, just like they were cats or something. I mean, stuff you wouldn't do to animals. They were doing to the Egyptians and brought great sorrow. Now, isn't it uh, doing to the Israelites brought such great sorrow? Uh, and and so now, as this all comes around, this is the final deal that they're now going to taste because you reap what you sow. And God is bringing judgment on them for their acts. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any man or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, Go, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. So Moses is really hacked at this point. The Lord said, had said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let the Israelites go out of his country until this final plague that he's setting up here. So now, what we're going to see here is uh, this is a major, major, major biblical event. It's called the Passover. And, and what happens here is the Israelites... Uh, are told very specifically by God what to do to prepare for the Passover. And what it is, 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 is if they would obey God and trust God by doing what God tells them to do, and we'll talk about it next week, then the death angel that was coming to bring all this death over the land would pass over the Israelites. But even among the Israelites, now so far they've gotten just a get-out-of-jail free card. They didn't have to do anything. When a plague would come, it wouldn't touch them, but it would hammer the Egyptians. But now, they had to do something. And if they wouldn't do something, then they too would pay the price. There was a major, major plague that was coming, a plague of death. The death angel was going to come and and destroy all these. And uh, so they were instructed what to do. We'll talk about this next week. Uh, because what we see here is this, and this is something that they celebrate to this day. Jews celebrate what's called Passover. If you always wonder, what's Passover? What's that mean? This is it. They constantly are reminding themselves every year of what God did this day. From that day until now is unbroken history of celebrating this Passover of, of what God did. Now what's interesting is the night that Jesus was being with his disciples and eating his last supper. Do you know what meal that was? It was the Passover meal. Jesus now becomes the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world so that the wrath of God now will pass over those who put their trust in Christ. So this is kind of like just a a shadow of what is eventually going to happen in the life of Christ. Every time we take communion... We are, in in essence, celebrating the Passover, okay? But not of this particular event, of the greater Passover, which is, that happens uh, with with the the death of Christ. And then we're going to see that blood was involved. And those who put their trust in the blood would be the ones who would be passed over. Just like we who now put our faith and trust in the blood of Christ are passed over God's judgment for our sins. Very fascinating. So this is a major deal that we're about to study uh, next week. So don't miss it. Be here, same time, same channel. And uh, we'll take a look at this Passover experience that happens that eventually causes Pharaoh to let the people go. 
And we'll, we'll read, and it's really, we're not done by a long shot. This is some fascinating stuff that he happens yet. Even with Pharaoh, this guy's like a complete loon. Uh, and we'll see what, how Pharaoh responds to all this and, and what he does. It's, it's really fascinating stuff to watch. So, next Wednesday, we will continue. We'll have our ushers come at this time to receive the offering. And our musicians can come back and we will let y'all go. Um, a lot of people, you know, the only time they get to get up, come to church is on Wednesday. So that's why we take the offering to give people an opportunity to, to give. Uh, some, actually even by choice, make this their weekly church service. I, of course, would love it if everybody came through every service we did. But, but I understand. I'm thrilled that you come at all. Praise God. So anyway, here's an opportunity for you to give back a portion of what God has blessed you with and to show God your gratefulness and thankfulness for his blessing your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the fact that you bless us. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us this wonderful gift of salvation that we can put our trust not in just regular lambs that are sacrificed as they were in the Old Testament, but the Lamb of God who once and for all took away the sins of the world And now the punishment for our sins is passed over us because of this wonderful, glorious sacrifice that Jesus did in our lives. We thank you for this time. And and now bless these gifts in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.